0: Hello friends, we are back with episode 91 of the R Weekly Highlights podcast. I usually have some fun jokes about the numbers as we approach the big one here, but number 91 is resonating with me because one of the legendary players on the Detroit Red Wings when I was growing up, when they were winning Stanley Cups in the 90s, wore number 91, Sergei Fedorov. So there's your trivia for today, the more you know about sports. Anyway, you didn't, you didn't come in to this podcast to hear me rant about sports. You're hearing for the Art Weekly Highlights. So let's get that going. But we can't do that, of course, without my awesome co-host, who's no stranger to making
1: tables big or small, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great. That was some nice foreshadowing. I was doing some traveling last week and back in the office this week and excited to uh, be checking out the highlights.
0: Yeah, let's do it, shall we? And our issue today was curated by Bato Almerzak. And as always, she had great help from our Art Weekly team members and contributors all around the world, like all of you listening. So let's dive into this. And first, it's going to be a bit of traveling here, so to speak. Speaking of traveling, but we're going to go on the subway for this and a great application of using some very novel forecasting techniques to extend something we've talked about in previous highlights. So Mike, take us on the journey of subway
1: fares of hierarchical forecasting. Sure, so this is a great blog post from JLAw, as far as I can tell, uh, that showcases an analysis of subway fare data to try and determine which types of subway fares have been the most affected by COVID. And for an example of fare types, uh, the MTA data set being used has fair types of full fare, where I just sort of assume that that's where you're a regular person going to buy a ticket, uh, student rate, a senior rate, a weekly unlimited fare type. So that's probably a weekly unlimited pass, a monthly unlimited pass, and a bunch of others. And for anyone out there who doesn't do a ton of time series analysis, you may not know that there's sort of a whole separate ecosystem of R packages out there for working with time series data specifically, because um, it's sort of different than working in just traditional database where the order of the rows don't necessarily matter. Time series data, the order very much matters. Oh, yes. And, and, <laughs> and besides the, the tidyverse, um, J-Law uses a few other packages like T-Sybil and Fable to perform a lot of the heavy time series data prep and forecasting, uh, respectively. So it's it's a wonderful walkthrough of the entire data analysis thought process that deals with data cleaning and aggregation to develop a model-ready data set, uh, including identifying and interpolating missing values in a time series, uh, building hierarchical models. You know, In other words, the hierarchies are the different FAIR types that reconcile up to a total forecast of how much uh, total fare was collected. And by doing this, you know, the author is able to calculate how much each fare type has recovered compared to forecasts that were trained on pre-COVID data, um, as well as estimate how much total fares have recovered themselves. And this is visualized much better than I can explain it here in, in a really nice chart At the very bottom of the blog that uses a a beautiful bar chart with some annotations above each bar. So I really hope that you check it out. But it's a great reproducible analysis that, that if you are looking to get your hands dirty on some time series forecasting work, especially sort of this hierarchical nature forecasting, I would highly recommend that this would be a great place to start.
0: Yeah, very practical explanations here. And yes, the visual at the end um, is really hitting home that there's still a long way to go in terms of getting to those pre-COVID levels, but you can see a nice breakdown. First, you're lumping all the fair types together. It's about 40% recovered in, in his modeling, all the way down to you might see some higher recoveries with, say, the senior group. But that's also as a much smaller set of revenue, too. So there's you have to look at the domains of this and, and, and everything like that. But yeah, for somebody like me who unfortunately has not had any projects and time series analysis, it's great to see the state of the art in the ecosystem of time series packages. And again, assessing those results in a clean and concise way. Um, this blog post does a terrific job of that. And J-Wall also touched on this a bit in his earlier post where they were talking about just exploring the different types of subway fares itself with the same techniques. Um, But this is a nice set of continuity there. So definitely check out the um, archive of of J-Wall's blog where you can see two additional posts earlier on that also gives some nice context to this type of analysis. So yeah, excellent work and really clean code. It's very easy to follow. So. Definitely something you can play with if you want to get your hands on
1: similar data for time series. I think the data set being used ends June 2022, and I guess I would be interested to see if maybe in the fall ridership might pick back up. Maybe the summer is a little little light, and as folks transition to a, I heard somebody say this the other day, not a post-COVID world, but a living with COVID world, or whatever we want to call it, um, maybe ridership this fall will... Increase compared to last fall and help recover uh, some of those losses even more.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a seasonality aspect to it, but I think we're all realist here. Um, though the world is changed forever, but now it's about how do organizations, how do you know other you know businesses manage expectations given the new habits, the new the new ways people are consuming different services or utilizing different services that may have been utilized more in the past. But again, no need to hand wave it, grab your data and run these great techniques and you can find answers to ponder yourself with. So very nice yeah. post. And yep. to
1: piggyback on that, maybe I'll just make like a big political statement from this podcast. Uh-oh. R is better than Python. That's all I have to say. Oh, well, okay.
0: You had me going there for a second, like we were going to say anything controversial. Like, come on, man. Don't, don't scare me like that. <laughs> OK, my editing job's easier. Yes, yes. Well, um, on that note, um, I'll do my best to move on. But here we go. Quite a different domain here, but our next highlight is going to continue a trend that we've seen on actually quite a few recent episodes, some terrific resources and learnings from our focus conferences that have been taking place this year. And this time we're drawing from the recent R in Medicine virtual conference. I've always been very impressed with this conference. I think they've been around for about four years now or so um and i've been very impressed with the technical materials the quality of the presentations the lineup of speakers and the workshops which we'll touch on shortly and much like the years in the past we get to view every all the materials on youtube so if you weren't able to attend live you can catch up and see what you missed and frankly we could dedicate a whole episode about the innovative ideas shared in this conference and in fact the full issue of R Weekly this week has many resources from this conference, so definitely dive into that if you're interested. But today we're gonna focus on an area that, well, confession time, Mike, you had your hot take, here's mine, that early on in my career, it was an absolute chore for me to create tables in R. It was painful, like scratching on a chalkboard, I knew I had to do it, had to turn that analysis out to give to a reviewer. And it was painful. Send your feedback to, uh, well, I'm not going to give the address, but anyway,
1: um, <laughs> Were you, does, it, does this involve a lot of fighting knitter and LaTeX?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of fighting on that. And when you get, um, collaborators that are very eccentric about where a column should be. Should it be nested headings? Should it be spaces in between rows? Like that's a whole nother thing that you hope you never have to deal with. But we're here to be happy, right? The the R Weekly Highlights podcast is usually a very happy time for us. And so I'm happy to say that creating tables in R is by far not a boring task anymore. Because it is great thanks to some amazing, amazing packages in the ecosystem, such as GT. GT is authored by Richie Own from our, our now posit. And that actually has an origin story that's in sync with the industry I'm a part of, life sciences. So you can learn more about that in one of my previous episodes of the ART podcast, which I'll have linked in the supplement. Fascinating story around that. But this isn't about GT itself. What we're going to talk about here is one of the extension packages that has cropped up ever since GT was launched that help enhance the experience even more, very similar to how ggplot2 has this rich ecosystem of additional extension packages so that let you do amazing things outside of the typical ggplot2 paradigm. And so Daniel Soberg biostatistician at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, he is the author of the GT Summary Package that lets you quickly create a summary table with a supply data frame or, say, a regression model fit and obtain a publication-quality table with minimal code needed. And for, in particular, the R-Medicine Conference, Daniel led a comprehensive workshop online which took the learners through practical workflows, through a a typical example, especially those that deal with health type data, to create a publication quality table and be able to customize it to the needs that were very much inspired by real world examples. And I definitely wanna stress the practical nature of this workshop. We're not here to like create the fanciest tables, right? We're here to create tables that tell the story of the data while meeting requirements that were given, say, through a manuscript publisher or the like, and being able to leverage this with additional technologies like our markdown to help create even more comprehensive reports that avoid some of the issues we talked about quite a bit in reproducible analysis of copying, pasting, doing these intricate formattings outside your code base that are very difficult to reproduce by someone else, but to be able to put this all in self-contained documents, GT Summary is a terrific way to meet that vision and get these terrific results into your analysis. The slides from this workshop are absolutely fantastic. And I have a pretty watchful eye. I think I can spot what they use to create the materials. It looks quite familiar, but in a very good way. We'll be hearing more about that, I think, later on from Mike here. Um, But I will say that I think the onboarding to creating tables has gotten much better. GT Summary is just one of this ecosystem of packages that has spun up in recent years. And there's always this balance of like when you have GT itself, is it worth it to have a package that kind of extends upon it? Well, I think it is when it meets a need and it does it very well, and it doesn't do anything radically different than what you would be used to as a GT user. I think the DSL, if you will, of the package is quite intuitive to somebody that's familiar with the GT grammar and hence grammar and pipelines, like we've seen another. Tidyverse like analysis. So I think the onboarding is very easy for a new user. I was able to grok the materials and play with things very little bit and not have any friction at all. So I think this is an excellent workshop to accompany your learning about how GT can be used in these domains that can really save you a lot of time and frankly, minimize what could be potential errors as you try and get these tables the way you need it. It's gonna get you the way there very quickly with the added bells and whistles of customization when you need to. So excellent workshop. I was really intrigued by the materials and I'll be playing with GT summary in the future. Well, what about you, Mike? Are you, you're excited for tables now?
1: I am excited for tables and it's, it's nice to see. I think, like you said, it's a great analogy that some of the tangential uh, packages that have cropped up around ggplot, I feel like is starting to happen around some of these table libraries. And the really nice thing about this highlight is that we have both the slides, which are for sure Quarto slides, gotta love that, and the, uh, the video from the presentation as well. And that presentation was given by Daniel, but also given by, I believe, Carissa Whiting and Shannon Pelegi were involved in that presentation. Carissa is also at Memorial Sloan, but Shan, uh, but uh, Shannon is at the Prostate Cancer Clinical Trials Consortium. So it's fantastic to see others like you, Eric, in the life sciences space uh, doing great things in the R community. So it, it's a really nice intersection of those two communities. And I appreciate all the work that, that everybody does in those communities. Uh, as a side note, I authored my first quarto-driven paper last week my first time playing with quarto and i rendered it as a pdf Uh, please don't hate me but it was what the client needed Uh, what a smooth user experience i am fully addicted to quarto at this point although if there is anyone out there who knows how to set chunk like hash pipe options such that the chunk renders one way for pdf and another for html please slide into my dms Um, anyway I thought that lead-in was, was somewhat relevant given the topic of this highlight, which is reproducibility and scientific publishing, right? I, I was looking through the slides and the slide that really introduces GT Summary I think said it best. Package helps users create tabular summaries with sensible defaults, but highly customizable uh, arguments and functions. And the slides have a timer on them for the exercises. Just like what we saw last week, let's throw it back.
0: That's how we do it on this podcast. Continuity once again.
1: Yes, callbacks on callbacks. I was able to write in the web browser where this, this uh, blog post is published. I was able to click on that timer and it started. It was incredible, incredible feeling. I think this is a wonderful slide deck. Uh, I think it deserves, it serves as a great example of building slides for teaching an audience, beautiful transitions from slide to slide as you add another line of code to the pipeline that you're teaching, and then you show the result next to it and highlight that particular new line of code. It's all there in terms of building a great slide presentation for for teaching um, reproducible science materials. So a great example, nice to have this memorialized up on this blog post and can't say enough about it. Yeah,
0: it's always terrific when you have the good fortune of the person leading the workshop that's covering great uses and use cases of a given package just happens to be the package author. So like you've got your authority of, of, of that right there. And with with, um, yeah, the TAs like Shannon helping with this, it was also great, great additional context as well. So I know I've been spoiled by literally working side by side with the author of the targets package and be able to you know learn through his workshop so it's always great to see that giving back to the community in this sense so certainly i know it can speak from a very recent experience daniel i know how much work goes into building this and we could definitely tell the quality uh and the time you spent on this set of materials so i think they're gonna they're gonna stand the test of time if you will these are gonna be great resources for people to dive into so again you know Not all workshops have the same quality, but this one, this is right up
1: there. It's one of my favorites, I can tell. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the GT summary packages syntax looks very similar to some of the nuances of the GT packages syntax. So I think it should be pretty familiar for folks transitioning. And
0: that to me is one of the biggest selling points of it is that, yeah, we can build extension packages uh, for many of of these frameworks, but making sure that we give the user experience of leveraging these to be as easy as possible and not make a huge paradigm shift, so to speak, with how you use like that extension package is hugely important. So what Daniel has done, like you said, Mike, to keep that similar syntax, that similar style, that to me is always important when you deal with these additional extensions. I've seen cases where an abstraction tried to simplify too much, and it ended up being confusing to the user. And we often recommend, oh, maybe you go back to the original package instead. So it takes it takes some good, you know, attention to detail to make sure that you don't mess up that experience for the user. So I think yeah, GT Summary is a great showcase of that. And then also also shout out GT Extra, I believe authored by Tom Mock, is another great. Um, set in that
1: paradigm as well so excellent workshop for sure yes i think gt extra lets you get some maybe some images into your uh, tables as well to do some kind of fancy stuff like that that gt extra is awesome and recently on crann i think that's another callback you
0: bet yeah so as you can see the gt um, effect is in full swing and maybe maybe next year we'll have another table contest hashtag just saying I don't know. I don't have any inside info, folks. I'm just speculating, but <laughs> I definitely saw a lot of great, great examples from that in its first year of doing it. So I'd imagine we'll be seeing that again. And speaking of seeing things again, um, well, always check out the rest of the issue. We got a whole bunch of content, as I said, a lot of this coming from the recent R-Medicine conference, um, but we'll take a little minute here to highlight some additional things we saw. And Speaking of the cordo, uh train that's moving full speed ahead, um, I'm probably going to be in a situation where I have to update some slides I made um, for a particular workshop that you may not have heard about. And so seeing a post from Emil Wittfeld, I know I can never say that right, but apologies, Emil, um, from Posit, give us great blog posts on his blog for what's called Slidecraft with so a great little illustration of how Emil approaches the theming aspects of the slide deck without trying to get too consumed by it, because I can tell you it, there are a lot of rabbit holes you can go down trying to get things perfect and layout or typography and the like, but Emil does a great job of showing like some quick wins you can have to make your slides visually appealing to different members of your audience to keep accessibility in mind. And it sounds like that's just the beginning. We're gonna be seeing more of Emil's thoughts on his blog as, as he goes forward with this uh, slide craft narrative. So that's
1: definitely one to check out. For sure, that's a good find, Eric. Uh, there's a brand new R package called Power BI R with a capital R Ooh. at the very end, which is a wrapper around REST APIs for managing Power BI, which is Microsoft's sort of off the shelf uh, point-and-click data visualization uh, software. There was a lot of talk about our integration with off-the-shelf tools like Tableau and Power BI and others at, at our studio conf a couple months ago. So this, this blog is very timely, in my opinion. If you've ever tried to use Power Query language, which is this language called M that Power BI uses for the E and the T in your ETL process, uh, you know that it is not, easy or very intuitive Uh, there are so many transformations that are really difficult or impossible to do in m that would be so much easier to do in r Um, but it's not necessarily very easy to integrate r within your power bi etl pipeline until we got the power bi r package which would allow you to do this etl someplace else then publish the process data frame to a power bi data set Um, And it allows you to do many other things as well. This this package is chock full. Uh, Just nice to have another option in our tool belt for stitching all parts of a, a reproducible automated data pipeline together.
0: Well, that is intriguing. And I won't pretend to admit that I'm a Power BI cheerleader or anything, but I do work with some people that have invested very heavily in doing these intricate Power BI dashboards for things similar to an ETL. So maybe this is worth a look. Uh, this this is definitely interesting. I had not realized that something like this was possible, but why should, I mean, how could I not realize it? Practically anything is possible if a service exposes some form of API that we can tap into. Very cool, cool find, Mike. And um, yeah, so definitely check out the rest of the issue for some additional great finds, new package updates and and everything like that and events that are happening soon. So yeah, another fantastic issue to dive into. And I'm sure you wanna see what else has been going on in the R Weekly world. Well, there's only one place to go for that. That's RWeekly.org. You'll find the links to this particular issue right on the front page and an archive to all the previous issues readily available for you. And if you see a great resource, a blog post, a new package, or another resource that you think deserves attention in our upcoming issue, we're just a pull request away. You'll see a handy banner to get to the current issue draft and be able to submit a PR directly in GitHub if you like. It's all in Markdown. Markdown's the wave of the future for documenting, in my opinion. So we're seeing lots of great resources built upon that. And our weekly is no different. So feel free to get in touch with us on GitHub and we'll be glad to get those resources in. And so, Mike, if people want to see what you're up to in your adventures, where can they best find you?
1: Sure. You can give me all your best quarto tips uh, at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K on Twitter.
0: Very good. Um, I'm here for the quarto tips. I've been trying to absorb as much of those as I've seen crawling on my Twitter feed. Um, Speaking of that, I am at the ArtCast and always happy to hear from all of you out there. And certainly if you're enjoying the podcast certainly let us know we're always happy to help keep the train going and keep making it better well it's a tidy episode today so we're going to wrap it up there that has been episode 91 and we'll be back with another edition of our weekly highlights next week